Of course, you can go conquer worlds, you can go conquer nations, uh, but you can't chalk that up to being pleasing to God. Right? You can go be the CEO of the biggest company in America, and you not you not pursuing the Lord in that may have God saying, that's not what I wanted you to do. And I'm not pleased by the way you did that. As a matter of fact, you didn't even do that in a way that would glorify me. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. This is Pastor Evan, and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden. Joining all of you. So grateful to be here. And well, here, here at Compass Bible <laughs> Church, we exist to make a disi- make disciples, not just a disciple, but make disciples, Hopefully plural, a lot of, them. of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. All right, well, Life Group Leaders, Pastor Hayden just preached on a sermon in a series in our current series, People and Promises, a sermon titled Faith in His Promises. And it's out of Matthew 1, verses 5, and the first part of 6. So let me read that for us right now. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father, uh, father of David, the king. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, uh, you had a main point of your sermon, also three kind of sub points. Your main point was that our lives in Christ is the outworking of God's deliverance amidst our failures, which should move us to respond to God with the ultimate faith in his plan. And your three points were to expect God to honor our faith, uh, to anticipate consequences when you forget God, and trust God to provide for his uh, plans. Um, now, I just wanted to ask before we, we jump into the points directly, um, our life groups might ask, okay, how did you, actually someone did ask, you know, we brought this up and when we were praying, it's like, man, he was studying the text looking like, hey, how did Pastor Hayden get this from the text? And, you know, what were you thinking, uh, well, how, not what were you thinking, how did what you, were you thinking? What were you thinking? How did you pull, you know, the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, and the book of Ruth, and the first part of First Samuel from just the names in Matthew, Matthew's genealogy? Yeah, the simple, the simple answer to that question is we look at the names in the genealogy, and we're trying to connect them to the historical timeline in which they exist. And when we do that, we find insights into the names that are helpful for us in seeing, number one, why they're in the genealogy and how when a first century uh, Jew is looking at the genealogy, they're thinking thoughts that connect with historical events that are tied to the people's names, like Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, right? Rahab was a Canaanite, but you don't see that in the text. But you know that when you understand the, hor- the historical con- significance of it. And the same thing with Ruth, uh, and, and, and a lot of these other names. So it's important, I believe, and you as well, that when we go over this uh, genealogy, that we're going into the historical background of these names so we can see God's faithfulness and see with the eyes of a first century hearer. All right. Well, point number one, you talked about expecting God to honor our faith and when we're faithful. And the biggest, really, the biggest example you gave were actually two examples. Uh, one was Joshua, because that was kind of the book that you know Solomon existed in, and also Rahab. And I want to focus on Joshua first. And what about Joshua uh, is helpful for our life group to know how God honored his faith? Uh, yeah, I mean, number 
one, the way that God prepared him. You know, he wasn't just uh, he wasn't just the leader when we get over uh, to the Jordan the second time. He was also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the person that uh, Moses led further up the mountain than everyone else. And so, I mean, he was already being prepared for leadership even before that, uh, and God was preparing him and, uh, yeah, working in his life. So I think from there, I think in the outworking of, of his life, and I said it in my sermons, just how much that uh, he was remembering God's covenants and remembering God's promises and how he spent so much time reminding the people of who God is, what God's done, and... Uh, how we should follow him in utter faithfulness. And, yeah, I mean, that's something you should know about Joshua, and that's the thing that sticks out to me. Not just that he's conquering, because, I mean, you can pick a whole lot of people, ungodly people who conquered nations and conquered people and and did a lot of good things, but it's just he did it the way that God uh, had called him to do it in a way that would honor God and also... uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to other explain that because because what I'm getting to is like when we think about other people, oh, you're saying we can do it God's way, we can do it another way because you were saying other people were doing things and other people conquered nations. Yeah, but other people were probably conquering nations out of the will of God. Uh, Israel was doing it to fulfill the promise of God, and so sure you could go do a lot of great things, but most likely you're going to do them outside of the will of God unless you're doing them the way that God has asked you to do them. So I guess that's the point I'm driving home. And Joshua did that by remembering God as he was doing what God had told him to do. And then there's another person that was brought up in Rahab, whereas you know, Joshua, you know, Rahab has one very noticeable moment in the book of Joshua, and obviously Joshua is kind of going through the entire book. But Rahab's... Um, humility or her faith stood out. And what about her faith do we as Christians and as, as life group leaders to communicate to our life, uh, our life group, what about her faith as Christians do we need to emulate? Well, I mean, she's the only one, her family was the only one saved. And so there's something significant about her because she was the only one who said, you know what, I'm following that God. I am going to forsake my life, my background. And I'm going to trust in, in that God and, and those people's God that they serve, who has brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, across the Jordan, through the wilderness, uh, here in this place right now. And so that's special. Uh, Obviously, her background, I think, is significant of how it is the Canaanite prostitute and how God still used her greatly throughout history. Uh, And that's your question, right? Like, why should we focus on her? Is, Is that the question? What about her faith helps us live out our own Christian faith? Yeah, that God honored. Okay. okay, yeah, I mean, think that the fact she turned away from all the things that the world was going after, and she went after God for salvation, for protection, and all those things are the reason why we go after God, and we should go after God. Uh, her background didn't keep her out of God's plan. I think that's important. Uh, the sacrifice that she made of saying, I'm going to protect these spies at the risk of my own life, I mean, that's faithfulness. Like Most of us aren't willing to risk much for the Lord, and she was risking her whole life. So there's a couple of observations. All right. Well, no, point number two, it is like the. Uh, let me talk about something oh. else. I think it's just just for you guys as life group leaders, and just because you know we're all real close. It's I find it interesting too. Like you just um, you see, assume Rahab. Okay, great. Then she had a child, but like it's not like she got married to Solomon right after that because there's a conquest going on for years, and so all of the men. Like number one, I don't even know where Rahab is uh, for the next seven years because. Uh, 
men weren't just with their wives, I don't believe. If I understand the history about it enough, the the men of valor are out fighting a war when mom and kiddos are at home. And so I'm not sure where Rahab is during the next six or seven years, but wherever she ended up, uh, later after the wars, she met up with Solomon and they got married and had a child. I just find that interesting because sometimes you don't even think about that, but Rahab had to wait for years before she ended up getting married. If my history, understanding of history uh, is uh, is accurate, that she it's not like she just got married to Solomon right after uh, they conquered uh Jericho. Jericho. I mean, it, even her faith had to be a faith that continued because even after she forsaked her life and her family and then moved in to uh, the promises of Israel, she still had to wait around and be trusting in the Lord, even for a husband who wants to marry a Canaanite prostitute, especially these people of Israel who uh, don't even like Canaanites. You know, those, ki- those kind of things I find very interesting. And maybe as you as a life group leader might think that's interesting too. All right, well, moving on to the next point, your second point was for us to anticipate consequences when you forget God, and that's based off of the book of Judges, and as life group leaders, how can we communicate the, essentially the book of Judges failing to do that is an example that we can learn from where it's uh, essentially you're saying they're a you know, DYI, you know, do it yourself, uh, Jews trying to do yeah. it on their own, but what are the consequences? I would call them Israelites, right? Israelites. Because they wouldn't be Jews yet, would they? Right, that's another conversation for another, another time. Another conversation another time. They, but Israelite, Israelites. Right? Is, Israelites. All right. So right. they're facing a bunch of whole, uh, whole bunch of consequences, and God right. is delivering them. But what about that? It applies it to our life. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of your problems, life group leaders, is going to be, okay, well, there is a different kind of government over Israel with the laws of Moses, you have a theocracy, God making the kind of promises that were, uh, and this is a good time to get into that theology of uh, blessings and curses, right? Uh, And so when Israel did what was right, God blessed them. When Israel did what was wrong, God cursed them. And you see that playing out in the book of Judges over and over and over and over and over and over. And so, Pastor, we can even chat about that. There's a little bit of difference. There's a lot of difference in that in our life. We're not under a blessings and curse covenant. We're under a new covenant. How how would we chat? Could we chat about that? That'd be helpful for them. Well, it's going to be helpful to understand, even for your life groups, because this is pro- this might come up. Uh, it may be in conversations outside of life group with the people within your life group. Is okay. Then how does this? I thought there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So then mm-hmm. I don't I don't get it because we're not under the blessing curses. Correct. And so there's going to be the different, there's con, we use the word consequences for a, a purpose. Consequences for an unbeliever looks different than the consequences for a believer. The consequences for an unbeliever is condemnation. The consequences for a believer will look like discipline, whereas discipline is good, and discipline is to drive us back to, to God, but it's not necessarily pleasant. And it's necessarily it's something we, we truly enjoy. Now, we can rejoice in it because we know what God is doing. But this, one of the examples you gave about... Um, us not being faithful to parent our children, and we forget God for 20 years, maybe even though we are Christians and faithful, we're experiencing the social consequences okay. Like, I failed to forget God, and this is the natural... No, I I failed and forgot God. Well, sorry, I meant to say forgot God. I forgot God, and... Okay, now I need to pray for my child because I forgot God. For you have so consequences. Long. Have consequences. Your child doesn't that. fear the Lord, doesn't know the Lord. No, given God still saves. Sure. He's the one that still saves, but... We should have been faithful to remember him. Okay, and we think about, okay, right, we're not going to get condemned or judged uh, uh, 
we would be disciplined or cons- we had consequences for forgetting God, but we're not going to have the curses poured out on us. But what about living in a world that is not saved and is will be judged and is being judged right now? How about that? Absolutely. And that is, you, you can call it the reciprocation factor of it, where you aren't necessarily doing it, but the world around you is doing it. I mean, Israel, the faithful, maybe the... Uh, that, because uh, probably Boaz and Ruth probably weren't partaking in the debauchery of the rest of Israel. But they still experienced the famine. They're exactly right. And so even in our case, right, I think we can, we can experience a lot of uh, the uh, judgment of God, right? I mean, come on. I mean, this is a conversation we got. Like, I think yeah, we have, even, right? but think about even when Israel was exiled, there's faithful mm-hmm. Jews like Daniel mm-hmm. who faced, experienced the consequences of Judah's sin. Right. And he experienced the consequences of his nation and they were exiled and it was not the most pleasant thing in the world. Right. Um, but in as for Christians, even in a country like ours that is forgetting God, it's great. There's a con- mm-hmm. There are consequences. And a lot of that. social consequences. I think we can easily rest on social consequences of saying God has a pattern. When, when you don't walk in that pattern that God has, there will be social consequences. And some of that is passive judgment that God says, hey, when this doesn't happen, we are, there is judgment on that. But, but to apply it though directly, we will face consequences as Christians. It's yes. even brought up in Exploring Compass. If I sin... What is the consequence? I'm going to be rebuked. That is a right. consequence. It's not a pleasant thing. If I continue to reject it and not repent, what is going to happen? Well, the next step of church discipline. And so there are still consequences. If I sin in such a way that disqualifies myself, what is, what's mm-hmm. the consequence? I'm disqualified as a pastor. Now, I'm still in Christ. And my salvation doesn't change, but there's still consequences. When I forget God just and I choose to do sin, especially sin that disqualifies me as a pastor, I will experience the consequences when I do forget God and pursue right. sin, even as like, a Christian. So as a Christian, I may not have a famine, although my country might have a famine. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Does God, does God give countries famines nowadays as judgment? Probably. Perhaps he does. Uh, but I know as a Christian, I'm not going to probably, I'm not going to be the recipient of that in and of myself, forgetting God, perhaps. But I'm definitely going to receive both the uh, social, uh, the social realities of that sin of forgetting God in whatever area that was in my life, uh, and also the discipline of God. Those things we know for sure. The other things we can debate about and talk about, but I'm definitely going to receive the social consequences of whatever it is, drunkenness or adultery or adul- whatever it is, and also the spiritual consequences that go with it. But all of that, just saying at as we distill it down, is you should anticipate consequences when you forget God. The 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 breadth and the scope of that, that's up to God, and we can get into that, but we should at least expect it. Yeah, and I think resting on the social uh, aspect of it, life group leaders, is going to help the most. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, as a Christian, get drunk and drive and get pulled over, you should expect, anticipate God to use the means of the law to punish right. you. Even get worse. You get drunk, you hit somebody, and you kill someone. Does that negate your salvation as a Christian? No, no. But but there are you should you should have said, hey, there are consequences when I forget God and do things that God says not to do. And God's going to use means to remind you, and that discipline will drive you back to God, even though your circumstances now change because mm-hmm. you drunk you know, you're driving drunk and hit someone, and now you're in prison. But you can still be a faithful Christian right. in prison. Right. That's just the easiest way I think we can apply that. Ex- anticipate consequences when you forget God. Keep, if you keep it around the social realities of consequences when we're not following godly principles in Scripture, it's just the easiest way to explain. You can talk about the other things that we talked about. It's just not as easy to articulate that. So if you and your life group can keep it around that first one, it'll be best unless you guys feel like you should get into the other conversations. But that's up to you guys.
All right. Well, Pastor Haney had one more point. That was to trust God to provide for his plans. And so using use the example of Ruth and Naomi and how God provided for them, and also even for Israel when he provided them a, a king after his own heart, but what is the main takeaway as life group leaders that we need to have from this point to drive home to our life groups? Uh, I Yeah, I think I drove this home plenty in the sermons, but it is that God provides for his plans, his plans, not your plans. And I got three scriptures to give you. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God's going to cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, not our purpose, his purpose. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. His riches, his glory supplied your needs according to his, his plan, his will. Now, last one, Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is the one working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, himself. Right? Over and over again, you find these scriptures. It's about God, and it's about his plan. And the best thing that we're ever going to do is step into his plan. Uh, and whether that, especially in salvation, obviously, but also especially, I shouldn't even use the word especially, definitely in salvation and definitely in sanctification, definitely in faithfulness, definitely in fruitfulness. Like anything you want to do in our world has to be done in the name of the Lord, that is has to be done in his will, in his plan. Of course, you can go conquer worlds, you can go conquer nations, uh, but you can't chalk that up to being pleasing to God. Right? You can go be the CEO of the biggest company in America, and you not, you not pursuing the Lord in that may have God saying, that's not what I wanted you to do, <laughs> and I'm not pleased by the way you did that. As a matter of fact, you didn't even do that in a way that would glorify me. And so it's like even the best things you can do in life, apart from God, are still no good. Although it may be successful, doesn't mean that it's good, godly, and uh, fruitful. Well, it actually leads me to a kind of a question to kind of help uh, us to have some helpful insights into the text. And kind of is more around point number one, but it's really going to be around the entire sermon, especially about you know, God's doing things to work out his plans. And when our plans come to fulfillment, it's because we stepped into his, his plan. And kind of thinking back to point number one a little bit, and you know, finding the freedom of running after God and His will—that's what you mentioned in the eleven a.m. But you know, what is some other insight that you can give us as life group leaders to kind of explain the freedom of running after God and His will as we live out our, our Christian faith? Yeah, I think people are frozen in the way that they think about faith and and going after God, and unfortunately, I think so many people aren't doing the will of God. Uh, that they they don't they don't ever start, and I, I just think in my life and your life, it's like man, why were we able to move from California? Why was I even able to move to California? And you know, I had people say, "Don't move to California, don't go there, don't do that." But I had the freedom to do that because I believed and trusted that it was God's will, not because I wanted to move to California, but because I know that God wants to plant churches and God wants people to learn His Word. God wants to make disciples, and so I was confident that if I stepped into that. I was fairly confident and had the freedom to assert that, man, God's going to bless this. And so that's what I mean. Like, if you're listening to this, you're like, well, I want to move. You know, I want to go here. I want to go here. Great. Does God want that? Is God doing something? Are you going to be stepping into his will as you go do those things? And if you're not, you probably don't need to do it. As a matter of fact, I would say you shouldn't do it. You should only be going and doing 
what you understand that God is already doing. I want to be a part of a Bible teaching church. So I went to one, you know, I wanted to plant a Bible teaching church. So I went to a church that planted Bible teaching churches. Like those are like obvious God things. And you say, well, I'm not a pastor, and so things are a little bit more obscure. It's like, no, it's not. I get that you're like, okay, I get it. it's a church, and I'm a pastor, and everything seems to be about God. I can do just as many things for myself as anyone else can. And the, the bottom line is you got to make sure that what you're doing is a part and helpful of what God's doing. Like you own a Fortune 500 company. You own your own business. Uh, what are you doing to further God's kingdom in that? Not your kingdom, God's kingdom. Are you making disciples doing it? Are you being generous to God's people and God's church? Are you furthering ministry? Are you furthering discipleship? Are you are you furthering uh, faithfulness on uh, w- with the people that you have working for you? I mean, those things. Like you've got to make sure those are your motivating factors. All right, but, but to do that, we need to remember the you know, covenant remembrance that you know, Joshua and his generation were, you know, remembered, but the judges, you know, the Israelites during the judges period forgot over and over and over and over. Yep. And so I, I wanted to ask a question along that line. It's particularly important number two, but um, the helpful insight to covenant remembrance, you know, what is that and what does it look like? Restate that question. What it what is covenant remembrance when you said that in the sermon with Joshua having yeah. covenant remembrance? It's just the, the fact that God made a covenant, God made promises, and they were going back and remembering those and taking moments in their lives and hearkening back to those verses and those events that took place before. And they went in to remember their covenant. And I know even uh, in Joshua, the circumcision of the new generation that was a covenant remembrance but that they were actually doing something they were getting the males circumcised but it didn't have to be an actual act sometimes as it is the fact that uh, and in Joshua 24 Joshua took them all the way from the history of their people all the way to where they were now that's covenant remembrance we just need to remember what God has done and help our families our children our spouses ourselves remember how God is faithful. And so that leads to the next question. How can we practically do that and help us as life group leaders be able to communicate that practical help to our life groups this week? It's like the illustration of having a prayer jar and writing out your prayers and putting them in a jar. And at the end of the year, if you're seriously praying about these things, take those out and read them and watch how God answered them. Right? That's kind of a covenant remembrance. God said, if you pray to me, According to my will, I will an- I will hear you and I will answer you, right? And then you write these prayer requests, you put them in a jar, and at the end of the year, you undo those things, and you're doing, it's a covenant, rem- it's, a, it's a small uh, gesture of covenant remembrance. Look how God is faithful to this promise. You have 80 prayer requests in there, and God had, God had answered all of them according to his will. And then you get to show everyone else, your spouse, your kids, hey, look what God's done for us this year. Look what God's done for, in his will that we've been a part of this year. Like, that's just a small example, practical and theological. Awesome. Uh, the last uh, insight question I had was regarding you know the how God provided, especially even with the law of God. And I love that in the elite, I think you may have done in the nine at the eleven. He explained the um, Leviticus uh, twenty five verse twenty five and Deuteronomy twenty five verses yep. five through ten and. Even just thinking about that, we we remember the story of Boaz and Ruth and say, oh yeah, he's the kinsman redeemer. But even God provided for that moment before that moment even happened. Right. And so how should that encourage our life groups? That even in that, just focusing on just Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, that God provided that 
well in advance. Right. We don't give God the credit for that sometimes when we ought to. It wasn't Boaz. It was literally Boaz doing what God's promises and plans had all along. Boaz was just doing his job. He's doing his, the job of faithfulness. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. We talked about this in Exploring Compass a little bit. Even the like, oh, you know, the person outside, you know, who may be a homeless person asking, you know, for something. And that's what is fine. Uh, and talking to them and not just saying, hey, the first thing I want to do is give you money. The first thing, like, let's figure out, like, do you have a community? Are you a Christian? Do you know the gospel? Because what we do know is Scripture makes it clear that we have to provide for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if, if he's not being provided for, odds are he's not a Christian. And so I need to share the gospel with him. But you see how I already used one of the preconditioned uh, principles of God and promises that Christians have to take care of Christians? If he's not being taken care of, there may be something else going on here, a spiritual problem right? Uh, an issue, maybe he's in conflict with family members. I can help so many things in his life more than just giving him money. Now, I don't want to just want to say, hey, go be clothed. I want to help. But there's so many more important things than just having, uh, you know, having a meal in front of you. Like, it, what about the weightier, more lofty things that, that we got to help people understand? Uh, and I, why did I say all that? Simply because being a part of God's family provides you with your needs being met. We see that in you see one of your scriptures in your application questions in Matthew chapter 6, that we understand that God has provided provision for us in his promises. There's things that we have to do. When you're married in Christ, men have a responsibility to their wives. Wives have a responsibility to their husbands. Why do you have that? It's part of God's pattern and plans. You don't have those promises outside of Christ. Right? I understand that in Christ, as a pastor, I have to shepherd those who God has placed under me. Guess what? In no place in the world does anyone else have to shepherd you. Does anyone else accountable for your life uh, spiritually? But when you're a part of God's family, that's built into the promise. So, I mean, it's those kinds of things just to continue taking in your mind to say, man, we get to be taken care of, and we get to also take care of people because all of that, just like the Leviticus and Deuteronomy passages, like, Boaz didn't make that stuff up. He was just following what the principles of the Bible already were in place. And that's what we're doing as Christians. So it allows us to be uh, allows us to be provided for and to be helped and be encouraged through what already exists in the promises of God. All right. Well, this leads me to our application question direction. And Pastor Hayden, you uh, craftily put eight questions within four questions. And so uh, life group leaders, don't be... Uh, uh, worried. These are really good, helpful questions for your life group. Uh, but what is the direction you want to take us uh, with these questions? Or maybe a yeah. couple questions you want to highlight. Uh, because of this sermon and this series is a lot of like, a lot of breadth, a lot of talking about a lot of history. I wanted to make these application questions very, very practical. And that's why there's so many, because I really just want to take a small piece and just be very practical. Like in question 2A, why can you expect the same response from God regarding your faithfulness toward him? That's a very simple question, but I want to make these small, simple, because so much of this is uh, can be very heady if we're not careful. And so I don't just want to ask these long questions. I want to get really specific. Uh, question 3A, recall a time in your life where you received consequences because you forgot or disregarded God. What biblical counsel would you give yourself during that time to move you to remember God? Just very practical. And so you're going to see a lot of questions, but... It's because I wanted to drive home these principles uh, that we have learned in our service, and none of these should be uh, so robust that it would be difficult to answer. All right. Well, uh, Life Group Leaders, we have a couple of resources that we written, uh, wrote down 
that would be helpful for you. One of them you already mentioned, Pastor Hayden, but this one's going to come up in the next several weeks because of the study that we're doing because of essentially an Old Testament survey through the genealogy of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the resource that you put down? Essence of the Old Testament. I think that's Essence of the Old Testament introduction, I think is, I mean, it's one of my favorite resources that I'm using right now because it's so concise and it has a lot of necessary information in it that isn't hard to find. And so I think uh, if that's a book, if you're wanting to get more into this or have questions about the messages, that's a really good book to get. What did you put? I put down a book specifically for the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua, No Falling Words by Dale Davis. And this is just a really helpful book to kind of gear your mind to how to actually read uh, the Bible, essentially, especially the book of Joshua. We put this in the historical uh, segment, uh, genre of the Bible. When we think history books, we think of boring textbooks with a bunch of facts. That's not what Joshua's talking about. And even you kind of alluded that to in your sermon. Joshua is a sermon for us to understand there's a point. There's a purpose and a point that God wants to know for the original audience and even for us. So helpful book to kind of gear, gear your... Um, to train your mind to read the book of Joshua and every other book, especially in the Old Testament, to read it properly so you can understand what God is doing and what he calls us to do. All right. Leaders, you have some announcements this week. We'll be sending them out in the email, but just a brief overview. Compass Kids Christmas Choir and Almighty Christmas, December 18th. The uh, registration is open. When is it closed? October 20th. October 20th. So make sure people sign up for that, and we'll start rehearsals very soon. Uh, We have a men's fellowship on October the 8th, so men looking forward to getting together. Life group leaders, make sure you're planning that uh, with your life group. And then after this, I think we're going to start meeting at the church after that for our fellowship. So last one, you got to plan on your own. And then after that, we'll all be meeting up here for our fellowships. Women's breakfast on October the 22nd, Candace Jacobson's teaching out of James chapter 3. That's right. And so we're really looking forward to that October 22nd. And then life group leader meeting the next day. And so October 23rd, we have a life group leader meeting at the 11 a.m. service. We look forward to seeing you guys there. We're praying for you guys. We love you. And if you have any questions, we'd love to uh, meet with you guys, chat with you to help you guys disciple your groups. We'll see you soon.